Hello and welcome to the Deep State Consciousness Podcast. I'm Richard Cox and I've just recorded a fantastic conversation with Simon Small. Um, it's a conversation that you'll never hear because someone forgot to hit the record button. So um, it's amateur's day here. But Simon, um, through his years of contemplative practice, through his involvement in the church as an Anglican priest, and his recent years of withdrawal and centering himself in contemplation has decided to forgive me for that and he's agreed to do a re-record of it so hopefully we'll be even better the second time round. Simon, good morning. Good morning, nice to see you again. Yes, yes, thank you. It's uh, very interesting, there's a, there's a little thing appeared on my screen saying recording, it wasn't there before. Yes, anyway. yes, that's... Um, that's good. That's the guest's responsibility, you see, Simon, to tell oh. me whether that thing is there or not. Yeah. So, well, you can't we... have too much of a good thing. No, and, and hopefully we'll be even better the second time around. So, yes. okay, so uh, I'll start the same as I started the last time and recount how I met you, Simon. It was, uh, okay. it was just coming up on um, an hour ago now. No, no, it was coming up on 10 years ago now. <laughs> um, and we were both attending a workshop run by the philosopher Tim Freak. Um, who's resident in Glastonbury, where you are. And I'd known Tim a few years before. I'd been into his um, mythical work around the mythicism and spirituality of Jesus and early Christianity. And um, life had, had run on for a few years. And then a colleague of mine had invited me to an alpha course. And that's a kind of induction course for quite an evangelical form of Christianity. I'd somewhat reluctantly, to be polite, gone along and then found I quite enjoyed it. Um, I found I really enjoyed the, um, the dialogue, the contrast between my more Eastern spiritual views and, and theirs. And also I found the, um, the level of conversation much higher than I would have expected. Things that I thought would have been problems that would have sunk their ships really didn't. Um, so I wanted to talk to someone about this. And I thought, oh, Tim Freak, he's, he's a good man on this. Um, but when I went back there, I actually ended up meeting Simon, who um, had been heavily involved in Buddhism, in um, spiritualism, and then his life had taken a turn into becoming a, a full-blown Anglican priest, and we struck up a, a conversation from that. Um, we haven't spoken so much for the past few years, because Simon has been in this period of, of withdrawal and focusing purely on his contemplative path. So that's something I'd like to know also, how that's gone today. So Simon, um, good morning again. And good morning. Well, it's nearly good afternoon. Nearly good, good afternoon now. Yes. Um, but, so we'll go on to all that. But before <laughs> we do so, could you um, once again um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to that point of involvement in the Anglican Church? Certainly. Uh, it's a long story, but I will try and keep it short. Um, I was brought up as, uh, as a child going to church. My father was particularly involved, and this is the Church of England. But I think like many uh, young people, as they reach their teenage years, I decided it was all a load of rubbish. I didn't believe in the fairy stories. I didn't believe God existed. And uh, I politely told my dad I wasn't going to go to church anymore, which he accepted because he was a very good dad. And then for about 20 years, I had no connection at all with religion or spiritual thought. The world took over, uh, having a career took over, uh, getting married, 
and becoming a father took over and for 20 years my whole life was totally focused on on the mundane world with all its demands uh, what i found uh, when i got into my early 30s and i think this is something that happens with uh, quite a lot of people that this stopped being enough and very gradually it was like a a hole started to grow inside me that the world couldn't fill. Uh, and I began to become more and more empty and more and more disturbed and found it increasingly difficult to, uh, particularly to go into work every day into a very stressful environment, um, which was really eating me away until I got to the point one night, it was a Saturday night where I ended up sitting in a room uh, with the light turned off because I just couldn't really face the world anymore. Uh, my wife came in uh, and turned the light on and then said, what are you doing? Which is the last thing you want anybody to ask when you're sitting in a room with the light turned off because you can't face the world. And I told her, first time I'd really told her, and uh, her response was amazing. Uh, she went off and got a book and said, I think you need to read this. And it was a book about spirituality, about spiritual questions. And as soon as I started reading the book, I knew that this is what was missing. It was talking about that hole that was inside me. And it triggered a whole search. And uh, it's a very co complicated story, but I, I ended up exploring virtually everything there is to explore in terms of different spiritualities and different religions. Um, I um, went particularly deeply into spiritualism for a while, which had a big impact on me, blew my mind open. I then went deeply into something called A Course in Miracles, which many of your listeners will know about. Uh, I went very deeply into Theravada Buddhism. Uh, my outer life changed enormously. I, I gave up doing a proper job and went off and did all kinds of strange things. Um, but eventually, to my total shock and horror, I found myself reconnecting with the Church of England um, and becoming ordained as a priest. But I came into the Church of England heavily influenced by the inner path, particularly my experience in Buddhism. And so I came into the Church really connecting with its mystical and its contemplative tradition rather than its very outer tradition of ritual and good works and theology, uh, I, I was more touching uh, the church's great mystics. And, and you felt, because um, it doesn't sound like you're making life easy for yourself, coming no. from a, a new age Buddhist background and going into the C of E, you felt that was a, a deep pull rather than a, a rationalization that, oh, that'll be a good thing to do yes. as a, the next step. I've always had a sense that there was some kind of presence or intelligence or impulse guiding me through all of this. And my wife has the same sense. And so all I've ever tried to do is follow where that has led. If I'd ever thought about any of this, I wouldn't have done most of the things I've ever done. Uh, but I'm very glad I have followed this, this light as it were, mm. where it leads. And it led me into the church and I was totally shocked and surprised, never thought that would happen at all. Uh, and now it's led me out of the church to a, another way of life. Um, but it's always been following that. 
Okay, so um, a couple of things I'm really interested to explore on this podcast are the nature of religious experience. Uh, what's going on there when we have these experiences? Are they um, more tied to one tradition than another and all these questions? Are they different in different traditions? And the other thing is the nature of communication and how this uh, contemplative um, practice perhaps um, enables us to communicate and connect with people on a deeper level. And I think the path that you chose for yourself or was chosen for you really opens up both of those things because I'm sure that you, coming into the church from that perspective, um, met a lot of people who... Um, who would have disagreed with your positions, who would have questioned what on earth you were doing there, um, whether you really were a Christian or not, and you had to navigate away a course through that. How, how did you find um, the contemplative path? How did you find that those kind of conversations that arose, and did the contemplative path assist you in having the, the difficult conversations? Not as many as you would think. Uh, whilst I uh, was always open about what I was, I don't think I was ever assertive about it. I, uh, I, I, would be, uh, I was open but willing to talk. Uh, I had very few difficult conversations. Uh, generally what I found is that there were quite a lot of people who were quietly interested, uh, perhaps had explored other things themselves, or, or actually exploring them at that time, perhaps very quietly without telling anybody. Uh, and so I had a, quite a lot of interesting conversations also interesting conversations with people outside the church because as a priest you do many funerals uh, weddings baptisms you walk down the street wearing a dog collar so uh, you you speak to an awful lot of people who are not necessarily part of the congregation uh, and in all of these conversations i found the key was for me to focus on listening from a silent mind uh, and in listening from a silent mind it helped other people to speak. Uh, it seemed to draw something out of them. And I found that um, also coming from a silent mind, which of course is the product of all the years of meditation I'd done, um, often I would say things that would arise from that silence. And it very often seemed to be the right thing to say or, or the right question uh, to pose. Uh, and so uh, all these conversations uh, took place and I had very few difficult conversations. Um, and one thing I would say as well is that I discovered that when, because I focused first of all on listening to the other, mm -hmm. eventually, uh, if they, you know, they would often genuinely want to know where I was coming from and would be prepared to listen fully and not argue, but... Um, uh, just really wanted to find out where I was coming from because I, I kind of honoured them by listening first. And I think this is where contemplation and communication uh, really do start to come together. Okay, it, it does surprise me that you didn't have more difficult conversations within the church because my perception, I suppose, is that there is this strong evangelical wing that's very opposed to all this kind of thing. Um, but maybe we'll return to that um, in a moment, I just want to pick up on the, the second theme there of the conversations of people outside the church, okay? Because I, f I think that people involved in Eastern spirituality can feel a bit isolated from this in a culturally Christian country, and it must have made a big difference for you going from running a New Age centre 
where you're dealing with people who are into the new age, into spirituality already, to suddenly putting a dog collar on and engaging with people on all sorts of different levels of society, people who don't typically think about spirituality, but are culturally Christian. And when they do turn to spirituality at a, a christening or a wedding or a funeral, these or some other dramatic event in life, um, it's a Christian form they turn to. So it must have been a big shift in the access it, it gave you to people. It was a big shift. It was something I found difficult because I'm naturally introvert. Um, I can remember when I was first involved in the church on a Good Friday, having to process up the road uh, behind a cross uh, with lots of people looking at me very strangely. Uh, and uh, that was a shock and something I found quite difficult. Um, but also uh, it did lead to some extraordinary conversations. Um, I can tell you many stories, but perhaps one or two would help. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, I once did a baptism and after the baptism, I was approached by a, a gentleman, a middle-aged gentleman who first of all told me, uh, I don't believe any of this stuff. I don't believe in God. You know, it's obviously it's all rubbish. I said, Oh, fair enough. Uh, but then he said, um, I'd like you to pray with me at the altar rail, mm. which was a bit of a contradiction, but it turned out uh, a few weeks earlier, he'd had a heart attack and had been clinically dead and had been brought back. And he just felt a need to say thank you. And so I took him up to the altar rail and I, I said a prayer with him. Uh, and he looked so much better afterwards. And he stood up and then said, well, thank you very much for that vicar. Um, but of course, I don't believe any of this stuff at all and walked off uh, with his wife. Uh, and I had many experiences like that where it's almost like on the surface there's one thing, but underneath there's something much deeper going on. There is an innate spirituality there. Uh, another instance I had is where I actually just went to put some petrol in a car. Uh, I was wearing my dog collar. Uh, a gentleman came out to put the petrol in. It was one of those stations where it isn't, wasn't self-service. And obviously the sight of my dog collar made him really angry. And he, as he was putting the petrol in, he suddenly said to me, why are you into all that stuff? Why are you wearing that? Which was a bit of a shock first thing in the morning. Hmm. But again, I, 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 I have this practice of not reacting, but trying to still the mind. And to my surprise, from the stillness, I found myself saying, I, I got into all of this because one day I couldn't think of a good reason to get out of bed. And his face lit up and he said, I feel like that every morning. And we had this long conversation by the petrol pump about life and what its meaning was and everything. Uh, but again, that's a conversation that came from listening. Uh, and there is this great gift of being in something like the Church of England that because you are public, whilst it's difficult, it does create all these opportunities for meaningful conversations in the most surprising situations. Yes, because irrespective of listening skills, um, had you been still running a new age centre, that conversation would never have arisen. Indeed. And the other thing is, of course, about being in something like the Church of England, is that you have to encounter people regularly who don't see things the way you see them. Mm. Whereas when I was involved in alternative groups, I tended to just be with people who saw things the way I did. 
uh, and it's more difficult and more challenging uh, to be doing the washing up next to a, a biblical evangelical Christian. Uh, on the other hand, it is more enriching as well. Sure, and yeah. It teaches you a lot about other people and yourself, uh, and in the long run, could be quite humbling. Yeah, I, I often have thought that I think that um, these different spiritualities, East and West, speak to the deficiencies in each other. So a lot of people um, leave the Christian thing and are, are attracted to uh, a more Eastern spirituality. Um, and I'm sort of using that very broadly, incorporating things like spiritualism, which are, are Western. Um, but I think you know what I mean. Um, they, they, they go in that direction because they find Christianity doesn't speak to that yearning for mystical experience, for contemplation, for answering life's big questions and for engaging with the world with a sense of mystery. Um, but also when people get into something alternative, then that can have its deficiencies in speaking to the kind of... Um, opportunities that you're talking about being involved in Christianity opened up, which is public engagement. So a lot of the structures in our society are Christian. A lot of the charitable work is done through Christian organizations, not through um, other spiritual organizations. So it, it's more worldly in that sense. Indeed. Yes. Yes. You, of course, what, what you get in one hand, you lose in another. Uh, and it's, it, it's always a, a balance. I think one thing I, f I find with many people who are involved in alternative spiritualities of some kind is they often feel very isolated and quite cut off uh, because very often there isn't a community for them to really yeah. join. Uh, and I was uh, a chaplain at a retreat house for quite a few years and had lots of conversations with people who uh, were into some kind of alternative spirituality but were looking for community. Yes, yes. I, mean, I have that experience policy. whenever yeah. I, I visit the um, the local church that my friends invite me along to for a christening or something. And there's you know, there's hundreds of people there. Yes, and I just think, my goodness, I've never been in a room that had this many people um, for any form of spirituality I've been involved in. Indeed, yes. And then the, there comes with that, and this is not that you know we've travelled to London for some big conference. This is in my tiny hometown you know um yes. and all the potential for uh, collective projects that come with that whereas if i even want to meet with half a dozen people of a similar mindset i have to do that over the internet yes <laughs> yes yes um what also happens though in these conversations i have is that they'll talk about how they really would like to find community they feel very cut off but then they'll say, I tried to go to my local church, but I just felt completely out of place. That uh, was my experience also, yeah. Yes, and uh, it's, there is no easy answer to this at all. Um, often uh, to be pursuing some kind of alternative path can be quite a lonely path. Um, but it also brings you face to face with yourself, that cut-offness. And in the long run, that can be uh, uh, a thing that helps enormously in growth and self-awareness oh I, I fully appreciate there is um a time for it i think for large periods of my life i would have wanted to actively embrace a cut-offness and it's, it's entirely appropriate for some people um but cut-offness can also be isolation if it's not welcomed and if there is that absence of community 
yes. What, yes. what do you feel would have to change within the church um, to keep a teenage Simon Small involved at that point? Because I think the story you've told is so typical. Uh, we could almost like make up a code and say, oh, it was the 29C story and everyone would know what you were talking about. Um, because it's also my story. Um, whereas I was very into the Christian thing and sent to church uh, until I was in my very early teens and started learning about science. And then I thought that suddenly what we were doing on Sunday was fairy tales. It was nonsense and it was regressive. It was holding human progress back. And I, yes. I didn't want to be involved. I even saw it as immoral to be involved and embraced a kind of secular materialism for a number of years then until finding that utterly hollow and the, the depression that arises out of that and then becoming involved in a more alternative spirituality. So what do you think would have to happen within the church to engage a, a mentally and spiritually curious teenager such as yourself and keep them on board? It would have to rediscover a part of its tradition that is lost from the very earliest uh, centuries of the church probably up until the middle ages there was a stream of spirituality that was directed at the inner path rather than the outer path which we now uh, would probably call the, the, the contemplative tradition uh, which was uh, very much based around um, what we would now perhaps call meditation what we would now call mindfulness this this journey into oneself uh, and finding what at the heart of everything what they would have called god um very much the same practices you will find in the east but we managed to lose them but also alongside that was a form of thinking or theology which is often called the apophatic path or the via negativa whereby there was an acknowledgement that existence itself was was so extraordinarily mysterious that one almost had to constantly remind oneself one virtually knew nothing. And this is the apophatic way, the via negativa, which was a plunging into mystery, the mystery of God, rather than making all these hard and fast definitive statements about God and what was true and what wasn't true and the kind of thing we used to now. It was an embracing of the great mystery and we kind of lost that as well. Uh, and it's, it's that contemplative and apophatic tradition that we lost that had it still being readily available would have kept Simon Small and maybe Richard Cox still involved with the church. Most definitely. Um, but is there a real difficulty there in that runs counter to what at least aspects of the church present? Because um, Christianity to me, there seems to be a lot of salvation through certainty. That's okay, it, yes. that you, and more than that, um, if your salvation depends on believing something and there's the potential of damnation for not believing it, uh, is that a difficult thing to reconcile with a sense of mystery? Um, because I do recall one of the things you said to me when we first met was that beliefs strongly held are often like crutches for people, that people who express um, a great degree of certainty in something that they absolutely know this is the way it is um it's often a very surface thing and if you go beneath that there's a, a whole lot of doubt existing on the inside and that certainty might be holding them back from this abyss that they are afraid of so it's very important to never 
kick away people's crutches. And that's not just in terms of Christian certainty. It could be anything, any belief people cling to. So is there a difficulty there in reconciling the desire people feel for certainty in their doctrine with the embrace of a mystery? Uh, yes, there is. Um, in a, a wholesome, healthy church, I think all of these paths would coexist and there would be an opportunity for over a, perhaps a lifetime for people to, to move between them. Um, I've worked and known a lot of people who, to start with, have very much embraced uh, what one might call a, a biblical or fundamentalist approach to Christianity. But as they've got older, have begun to move more towards a, a, a more of a sense of mystery and have begun to explore the inner path more. But that's been a journey over many years. And to start with, they really, really needed something that gave them a structure and a sense of certainty. It was very important to them in their lives and it made them a better person and a better person to be around. And I would never ever challenge that. But as a priest, I saw it as my job to be available for that moment when people perhaps wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. into something in, into this whole mystery tradition that's always been there and so there is this movement and this journey i think that always has to be respected and allowed to happen and i can totally relate to that i, I think there were things that i was absolutely certain about when i was 20 years old that now yeah. i wouldn't be sure if i believed at all i think it's common across um um spiritual paths and and other things too so um maybe there's always we should always expect there to be a certain tension in the relationship there but one we must try and reconcile anyway yes yes um the sense of journey in spirituality is incredibly important uh, i think many of us first of all get involved in religion or spirituality often because we find the world a difficult place mm. and we want something that's going to give us a sense of safety and certainty gives us a sense of safety um but, but also I think there comes a point where the, the journey has to change qualitatively, where the, it becomes not a search for safety, but a search for truth. And that's a wholly different thing because truth can be incredibly disturbing. It, it shatters at those foundations. It kicks away those crutches often. And that's something you have to be ready for. Okay, thank you for that, Simon. I'd like to move on in a minute to ask about this recent phase of your life when you've gone really into the contemplative thing in a quite withdrawn way. But one final question in this area, it's a bit of a, a challenging one, maybe, but I'd like to ask it is, um, over the past few years, I've become aware of people that have had intensely negative experiences um, with some form of Eastern or New Age spirituality. Um, and probably most often spiritualism, where they've connected with this thing. It's been um, very good for them initially in the ways you describe. It's brought them out of this um, materialistic worldview that's um, a death to the soul. Um, but then they've encountered something in it which they feel um, is kind of evil and had a very negative experience that way. And a percentage of these people then turn to Christianity because they found embracing Jesus has been um, an effective way to, um, to deal with that, really, a, a kind of defense against it, whether it's the presence of like an evil spirit or a demonic entity in spiritualism, 
Um, I've heard people also talk about it with the the UFO abduction phenomenon, which um, is certainly a real phenomenon, whatever the empirical reality is behind it. People have these experiences and um, have embraced um, Jesus and then quite a, an evangelical form of Christianity as, as a defense against that. Um, and I think um, with being involved in sort of similar forms of spirituality myself, I want to be very aware when people are, are telling me they've had negative experiences. Um, so I appreciate it's um, perhaps a difficult question, but I also think you're maybe a unique position to address it. And I assume that maybe you've come across some people um, like this over your time. So what would you say to people um, in that position who have had these kind of negative experiences? Uh, well, I think my first caveat would be that I've worked with many people who've had these kinds of experiences and one has to work with the individual because there are often some quite unique characteristics. But I think the first general point I would make is that uh, I've been involved with, to a lesser or greater degree, uh, a large number of spiritualities over the years and people in those spiritualities. And I have found people who've experienced these difficulties in all of them. Mm -hmm. I have found people in churches who have had very bad experiences, of the kind you describe, who have gone off to an alternative spirituality or to something like Buddhism and found a safe a sense of safety and healing there. On the other hand, I found people from say spiritualism or some other alternative spirituality who've had bad experiences. And as you've described, gone to Christianity and found their competent healing there. I've no one particular spirituality in my experience is prone to this any uh, than another one. Um, but it's often presented that all the problems are in certain ones. And that's not been my experience. Um, what I would say is, is that if people are having difficulties, then get away and find something that enables you to rebalance, find some healing, find some perspective, whatever that may be. That's very, very important. Um, what I would also say, and this is quite a deep point that could actually, you know, one could unpack a lot, is that um, I would suggest that... Um, real security lies in self-knowledge what i have found is that when people have experienced something dark let's put it like that the way that darkness works is to exploit their fears uh, to exploit any sense of guilt or shame they have um, it works on on the darkness in their own mind those bits of their own mind that they're not fully aware of haven't fully acknowledged haven't fully processed and it works on those places and in the darkness and um, that's where the difficulties lie. But if one has a deep, profound self-knowledge uh, and, and, and the light of consciousness has been brought to all these places, this darkness has nowhere to work. And that's where a real sense of safety, a real sense of security is to be found. Know thyself is the first spiritual teaching, as it were, and in many ways the most difficult to practice. Well, yeah, thank you for your comments on that, Simon. It might be um, something that people wish to comment on of their perspectives after hearing it. So we'll move on to um, the, the final question I have for you is to ask you about this, um, this recent phase of your life where you've um, stepped back from your role in the church. Uh, you've let go a lot of your um, 
teaching uh, outside of that and really embraced purely looking at contemplation uh, spending a lot of time not doing anything but that and my perception is that you've probably done this with more focus and um, intensity than most people would have done um, who were involved in in this world um, so and you've done it alongside your wife who's gone on a, a similar journey through this period so uh, perhaps just explain for people exactly what you've done over the, the past few years and what the effect of giving over so much time to this contemplative path has been. Okay. Um, this part of our journey uh, started probably about 15 years ago when I began to sense that there was something missing from uh, the journey we were on, something we were meant to be doing but were not. Then one evening I found myself reading a book about people who lived withdrawn lives, hermits, and immediately knew that this is what was missing. Uh, and so together with my wife, very slowly, over a period of many years, a bit at a time, we've started to live an ever more withdrawn life, a much quieter life, where not very much happens, um, where we have a, a rhythm of, of, of spiritual practice and uh, it's something we go ever deeper into um, in many ways it's it's almost a monastic lifestyle uh, lived in the midst of the world uh, what we have found about living this way of life is that life gets very very real indeed uh, when we are heavily involved in the world uh, really we're living out something which isn't real it's the human soap opera and as that human soap opera dies away and you are left with yourself and with time everything gets very very real indeed and that can be both incredible and inspiring and very difficult it can be very difficult because you have to spend an awful lot of time with yourself and your thoughts and there is nothing in your mind that uh, you can hide from and processing the stuff that comes up can be a difficult experience uh, it's also difficult because of time itself to have all that empty time and to resist the temptation of pouring activity and stimulation into it because you want to stay as real as you can that can also be very difficult um, but there is a sense we both have that no matter how difficult it is at times and has been it's exactly what we're meant to be doing and we have a profound intuition if you like at the soul level we've grown enormously because of this experience and are still growing because of it and uh, that is really how we live uh, and how i suspect we're going to live for the rest of our lives well, it always amazes me um, that you and your wife, because you, I would understand if you put a personal ad out looking for a partner who wanted to go down this particular path, but you didn't. You met prior to any involvement in spirituality, and you've yes. ended up walking down what seems to me to be a very narrow path, hand in hand together. It's quite, quite it always seems quite incredible to me. Yes, we've been very, very fortunate indeed. 
but I, I would say again that both of us have always had a sense, even before we'd met, that something was guiding us through life. And in our own blundering way, both of us have tried to follow that. And it's led to where we are now. Um, and it was Jane who started off the whole spiritual path to me all those years ago when she handed me that book. This is something we've done together. Uh, one thing I would say, which I think is quite important, uh, kind of on the related topic, is that when perhaps I, we first started living this way of life, gradually moving into it, this more withdrawn way of life, uh, I thought that we were doing something quite un, very unusual and exceptional. Uh, but during this period, I was for some years a chaplain as a retreat house. And I had many, many private conversations with people, particularly people in their 50s and 60s who'd reached that kind of later stage of life, who also felt very drawn to doing this. And some of them were, uh, but some of them were not. And it's something they wanted to talk to me about as, as chaplain. Um, they were draw often drawn to this way of life, uh, but weren't sure whether it was right or wrong. Many of them thought there might be something wrong with them. They were becoming antisocial. Um, others found resistance from family, particularly, strangely, from grown-up children. Um, but this, this may be something that's going on in our spiritual culture that's now becoming more powerful and more present, but is still kind of hidden. So uh, Jane and I have realised that it's it's not just us. There are others who, who are drawn to this. Right, yeah, because my perception was it was you, you and Jane are the only people I know doing something like this. So that's that's very interesting. Yes. Um, a, lot, a lot of people would... My impression was that I met a lot of people who would like to do this, but there were all kinds of things holding them back. But it's, it is like a... It seems to be there is a, a quite a widespread impulse now in this direction. And maybe it's a response to an ever more intense culture mm. with uh, technology and busyness and speed and all the rest of it, that, that some people are almost kind of being forced in the opposite direction. Okay, thank you very much um, for that, Simon. It's been a, a wonderful two conversations today. That's a pleasure. Um, thank you very much. I will link to Simon's books on contemplation uh, on whatever you're listening to this on. If you feel there are questions that um, I didn't ask Simon or you'd like more depth on any of the things we did talk about, um, please let me know because I, I would hope Simon um, would be agreeable to coming back on. Um, Indeed, I'm yes. also hoping to have him back on to talk about Star Pilgrim, the book where Simon expressed these mystical ideas through the medium of science fiction. Um, which we didn't talk about today because it's been five years since I read the book and I, I didn't feel I could do it justice. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that Simon's wife, Jane, is um, a, an artist and expresses her spirituality through art and has many paintings of the, well, the last exhibition I saw, uh, there were a lot of paintings of Glastonbury, um, kind of impressionist pieces. And I'll confess, I couldn't think of the word impressionist the first time round, but uh, Simon told me it, so now I can pretend that I knew it all along. Um, yes. But she she has a website, does she, Simon, that I can link to? Yes, I'll send you the link, uh, but basically she sells uh, prints of her work. She doesn't sell the originals. She sells prints through a company called Fine Art America, who sell all over the world. And uh, if you just go to Fine Art America and put her name in it, her pages will come up. 
but I will send you a link, Richard, for you to put underneath. Great, yeah, and, and very um, worth checking out, uh, especially if you've ever um, been to Glastonbury, because there's incredible scenes uh, off the way the the Abbey House and the and so on are, are portrayed. So, okay, thank you very much indeed, Simon, and uh, I very much look forward to speaking again. Yeah, okay, then thanks, Richard. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.